0: You can also tell your smart speakers to play Vision Kids Radio. If you don't already have the Vision app on your phone or tablet, you can download it for free when you search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Vision Kids, another way we're helping the whole family look to God
1: daily.
2: Connecting faith to life. Vision. Coming up today on The Story.
3: I've spoken in the chapel time and said, We've left a family behind in Australia to come here, but now we're leaving a family behind in Korea to go back to Australia because we live with them, we eat with them, and we teach them, and they do become like our family.
4: The Story. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, our guests today have been a global couple right from the very beginning when they met at the Grand Canyon. And have been traveling the world ever since And now in their retirement years Aileen and Robin Byers are combining their travel with doing ministry work Like helping train missionaries in South Korea And teaching English in Lebanon We'll hear their globe-trotting adventures today on The Story As they have a chat with Shelley Scohan
0: you both have really interesting stories as to how you came to realize that you needed Jesus as your own personal savior. Uh, let's start with you, Eileen. You came from a really a Christian heritage, but it was only after the birth of your first daughter that you really realized that you needed Jesus.
3: yes, um, i I'd, I'd always I'd gone to church as a child, I'd gone to youth group, I'd done all the right things, and had always thought that that had made me a Christian. Um then I went, overseas for a trip to the UK, a working holiday for a couple of years. And that was when I decided, well, life's much more fun without God. And um, I drifted right away. And as you said, after the birth of my first child, and I realized that I had this responsibility that, um, that I really needed to look at my life and make some changes. And basically, it was still about going back to church. I think I need to go back to church. And so it was still a few years down the track before I realised that it's not about going back to church, that it's actually about a personal relationship. So Mm. that took another few years for the penny to finally drop
0: just one of the many ways that becoming a parent changes you inside. Absolutely, It's not just the practicalities of having a small person to look out for, but it does make you think about life in a different way, doesn't it?
3: Yes, it certainly does.
0: Yeah. So you obviously got involved in a church then and uh, started attending regularly and um, came to that point of wanting uh, Jesus as your own personal saviour. Yes. Well, Robin, what's your story?
1: Uh, The baby boomers, of which we are two, as children generally kind of went to church in post-war So I'd certainly been attending church um, My mother was a single parent uh, as a result of the war And um, we went to a Baptist church But when I got to university I really started to see a conflict Between science and religion Which I no longer see actually but, um, And so I rejected uh, religion and became an atheist and I started my profession, which was petroleum geology, and I was sent overseas for training. And of course, I felt I was very important because that was a very unusual thing to do in the 70s to be sent overseas for an extended period. So we went as a family, and our first child was born in uh, France. On the way back, um, we went to Sri Lanka uh, and had a tour, and halfway up, in, and we had a driver and a car, and halfway up into the mountains a place called candy i became very ill uh, very ill and uh, i was in my colonial type hotel and they had to get a doctor in and the doctor walked through the door of this huge room he was pretty talented i'm sure but he took one look and knew i had hepatitis i think my eyes must have been very yellow so they put me in a hospital and uh, tried to look after me. And I was in that hospital for 17 days. It was, as I said, uh, in the mountains in a place called Kandy. And uh, there was a lake up there and a very famous Buddhist temple. Every day, the Buddhist monks would walk by my um, the window of this tiny hospital I was in. And as I lay there and thought about this, I thought, well, it's very interesting. Most of the world believes in God, a God of some form. And I don't. That means they're all really stupid or I'm making a mistake. So statistically, it was probably me. So I came back <laughs> to Australia and read a lot uh, and uh, yeah, read a lot of stuff and uh, about Christianity. I didn't seek any other religion. And uh, then I made a commitment for Jesus and uh, I was baptized in the church, a very traditional church. And then we started to get on with our lives and see what came of that.
0: It's interesting then that for you, Aileen, your salvation was almost caught up in the, well, not, not caught up in there, but it was based on the emotions of you having your first daughter. Um, whereas for you, Robin, it was very much a scientific thing, which shows obviously your scientific mind. But, you know, you're looking and going, oh, statistically speaking, one of us is wrong and it's probably me. And let's go and do some research and, and find out more. It just shows uh,
3: you're a little bit chalk and cheese like that? I think so, definitely. <laughs> but the yes. Em- <laughs> yes, but the amazing thing, I think, was that it they both happened at the same time, completely different paths, Wow, but um, at the same time, because when he was so ill in Sri Lanka, I had to come back to Australia because of um, mm-hmm. the baby being so young, mm-hmm. I couldn't continue to stay in in Sri Lanka. And, um, and so it was that point where I realized I had this responsibility. And then meanwhile, he was in the hospital having these, these sort of thoughts. And so when he finally was released from hospital and came back to Australia, we realized that we'd both come to this kind of conclusion, but completely different paths. God's pretty good like that, isn't he? Absolutely. (laughs) The way he just leads
0: us on our journey and, and draws us to him. It's amazing. Robin, I hear that you have quite a story to tell about how the two of you met. Tell us how that happened.
1: (laughs) This is a very long story and Aileen doesn't like it, so I'll keep it very (laughs) short. Basically, when I was uh, I graduated, I was employed by uh, an international oil company and I worked in the jungle of New Guinea. And every day, and this is back in the 60s, every day I spent in the jungle, I got an extra $10 a day. Now, that doesn't sound too much in the... 21st century but in 1967 $10 a day extra in cash was pretty big so I had a lot of money and I decided I'd go for a tour of America and visit all the science museums and stuff so I did that and being a geologist I was very interested in the Grand Canyon so I turned up at the. that'd be
0: Canyon. like heaven for you
1: yeah well, uh, I don't know about heaven I don't know whether heaven is <laughs> the Grand Canyon but uh, anyway <laughs> there's figurative, rocks, figuratively, rocks everywhere. figuratively speaking but uh so I was there and um strange to say there was a blizzard, and the blizzard blocked out the Grand Canyon. You could not see anything. All you could see was white. Oh. So imagine, and uh, there's this tour group, uh, assorted people. I just rocked in and booked a day tour, and she'd rocked in separately and booked a day tour. And here's the tour guide. What can he say? He he says, well, look, folks, there's the white stuff. So he said, well, where are you all from? You're from Alabama. so? Anybody from overseas? And I thought, I'm not going to put up my hand. But this girl who was down about five or eight rows down in another part of the auditorium, which was fairly empty, put her hand up and she said, I'm from Australia. And I thought, oh, she looks pretty cute. I'll go (laughs) and talk to her. So I talked to her. We were going different ways. Um, Those are the days actually where you could get a 99 days on the Greyhound for $99 wow pretty impressive yeah so she went off one way and i thought i'd like to meet her again so we met we kind of i changed my itinerary it wasn't anything planned you could change any any go anywhere on a grand so we went back she was going back to los angeles i went back to los angeles i hadn't seen disneyland she convinced me to see disneylander and i kissed her on the peter pan ride
3: <laughs> wow that is an awesome story <laughs> And I was very impressed because I had spent all of my money travelling and was literally sort of living on virtually nothing. And I was so impressed because he could afford to buy a sandwich.
0: Wow, he must have been rich. A sandwich at Disneyland is a lot of money.
1: So we travelled, we kind of travelled with each other. We were not Christians in these days. Uh, We travelled each other and met at different places around America and we said goodbye at Niagara Falls. She went back to London and you probably understand there's a lot of young men in London and I went back to the jungles of New Guinea and you'd probably imagine there are not many young Caucasian women in the jungles of New Guinea. No. So there was a little difficulty there. I'd write letters and sometimes I'd get, and there was no phones, of
0: course,
1: mm-hmm. so I'd sometimes get replies.
0: Okay, so how did you end up meeting up and deciding to get married?
3: Finally, um, I... After two and a half years, I went back to Australia and I grew up in Adelaide. So I went back to Adelaide and he went back to Brisbane or he was in Brisbane and he came down to visit and um, then I went up to visit Brisbane and then eventually we decided that we were going to stay together.
0: Wow. Wow. What an amazing story. So you guys have very much been a global couple right from the very beginning. I mean, you met at the Grand Canyon. That is pretty romantic in itself, saying goodbye at Niagara Falls. Um, and, of course, you know, your separate lives before you even came together. You were, you know, all over the world, here, there and everywhere, which was probably a lot less of a done thing back then. Uh, these days, every man and his dog goes travelling. But back then, it was probably a little bit more
3: unique. It was. It was definitely, yes.
4: You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Skoen is chatting with globe-trotting couple Robin and Aileen Byers about their story. Next, we'll find out how they've combined their love for travelling with their love for God and serving Him in ministry. That and more when we return. The Story.
2: If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401
4: 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen chatting with a truly global couple, robin and aileen byers next we'll hear more about their world travels and how in their retirement years they're combining trips overseas with ministry work in various countries
0: we've found out a bit about your international travels but you've lived in a number of places around the world robin tell us about some of the places that you have lived and i guess where your career has taken you in geology
1: yeah, sure. I was a petroleum geologist, so and I worked for a, a French company. So they had um, permits and oil all over the world. Um, I was based in Brisbane. They sent me for to nine months' training in France. Uh, from there, of course, I worked in France. I worked in New Zealand, New Guinea, Australia with them. Then eventually I quit them. Then I got another job. I was offered another job in Canada, so we moved to Canada and lived in Canada for three and a half years, which is the climate difference between Canada, uh, Quebec City, and Brisbane is quite enormous, actually. Yes, yeah. Um, And uh, I worked for that company, the French uh, Sokip, it was called, a French-Canadian oil company, and I worked in Canada, mm, USA, uh, did a little bit of work in East, uh, West Africa, sorry, um, yeah, that's about where I moved.
0: You're a scientist, a geologist. You're obviously fascinated with God's design and with the things that he's made for us. Why are you so passionate about rocks, about the earth? What oh. is it that gets you excited about it?
1: Well, I think it's very ordered and there's um, principles by which it works. I mean, I'm thinking about geology. Yeah, I'm thinking about petroleum geology. Uh, the formation of oil is a very slow process uh, natural gas and oil is the biggest business in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shell has, uh, Shell or BP have budgets that are equal to countries. Wow. And, uh, and it's, it, it was a world that I was in. I was only in it for 10 years, then I became a high school teacher when I came back to Australia eventually. But it was something that I loved very much and it was very exciting and dynamic and, um, yeah, drilling oil wells is a pretty exciting time, especially if you strike something.
0: So that was part of your job then, just kind yeah. of going out and looking. I, I assume that's probably what you were doing in PNG, was it? In yeah, the jungle?
1: P- PNG, we were actually doing what we'd call field work. So we're looking at the rocks. In other places, offshore and onshore, we were actually, have, having done all that, we'd say, okay, maybe there's some oil or gas here. Let's drill an oil well here. People in charge or with me would say, let's drill a, an oil well here, and I would be responsible, partly responsible, for the drilling of that oil well.
0: Mm,
1: so I wow. sit on an oil rig for three months then see what you find. Yeah. Sometimes you find exciting stuff, sometimes...
0: It's nothing, and it was a waste of time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, at least
1: you know nothing's thing.
0: Well, that's true. <laughs> Process of elimination, you'll find some oil sometime. Uh, you, why did you change then to teaching science?
1: I really enjoyed uh, geology. It was an extremely well-paid job. But I thought maybe God had other plans, to summarise it all, and I thought I could help by influencing young people through high school teaching.
0: Aileen, you've been busy all this time as
3: well. Tell us about your role at Scripture Union. Um, I, I actually started off as a volunteer in Scripture Union when my youngest child was in kindergarten. So I used to go along and just do some of their sort of mailing lists and things like that. And um then a part-time job came up and I think um I was there for maybe 10 years or so mm-hmm. on a part-time basis. What yes. was your role there? Um I was working in uh, as a secretarial in a secretarial role basically all the time for mm-hmm. various people who were working in the organization. Yeah, right. Mm. Okay.
0: You've also had some health challenges yourself as well. Robin was telling us about having hepatitis over in Sri Lanka. Yes. Uh, you've had some life-threatening illness as well.
3: I have. I, I've actually been quite greedy and had breast cancer twice. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't content with having it once. Yeah, so yeah, well, went back yes. for more fun second time yes, around. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. How did that affect you as a person? Um, it was interesting that I never at any point felt that God had deserted me or never really questioned, why are you doing this to me? I think it was more, I found a lot of strength through God. And the interesting thing was at one stage, um, some friends were visiting when I was going through chemo and the wife had become a Christian. The husband was still very skeptical and didn't really want to have anything to do with it. And he asked me very directly well, I suppose that's affected your faith now that this has happened. Mm. And I said to him, well, it hasn't. It's actually made it stronger because I felt that God has been with me through all of this. And I think that really floored him. He didn't really have anything to say after that. But I literally did feel that that was the way it worked that God hadn't inflicted this on me, but that he was seeing me through it.
0: Yeah, that's a wonderful story. And I think a lot of our listeners could identify with that, with God um, just being close to you at the time that you're feeling very, very low. It did go on to affect you, though, in that you ended up retiring and taking up other roles. Yes, yes. You're obviously not very good at sitting around and enjoying a nice, quiet retirement, though. You had to get back out.
3: (laughs) No, it hasn't (laughs) happened yet. We're still waiting for that to happen.
0: So why did you choose to get up and, and go and do missions in retirement?
1: So Aileen contracted breast cancer the first time in 2002, if I'm correct. Yeah, and back in 97, 96, Aileen did a certificate for teaching English to speakers of other languages, uh, mainly for relating to people in Australia, and then we started to think about that, so I did one in 1999, and we started to think, well, maybe this is something we can do at a later date. 2002, breast cancer, all that came along, and we started to think, well, do we have enough money to retire, because I was 59? Yeah. And uh, we investigated that, and yes, we did. So I said, well, it's not much point going to teaching and it's enough time to get out and do, do maybe what was something else. And this TSO we had the qualifications for that. So we prayed about that at length. And uh, we got a group in our church of people about our age to also pray with us and be sounding boards. What could we do with our Certificate four? And back in 2000, we'd spent three months in Lebanon using it. So in 2003... Having retired, we went back to Lebanon for a year teaching English, and that was the first foray into teaching English as a support to missionaries. We don't consider ourselves missionaries. We're just English teachers who happen to be Christians and work with Christian organisations.
0: And then you couldn't get enough.
1: Alien is quite skilled at it, uh, very good at it, and I look good on paper. <laughs> but... Uh, um, when we were there, we came across an organisation called Arosha, which is an environmental, or, Christian environmental organisation. They were in Lebanon. And then they talked to us and we went and visited them and uh, on weekends and things like that. And they said, oh, actually, there's a need in uh, France and we speak French. So they said, why don't you come and work for Arosha? And we said, gee, the south of France, that's pretty hard uh, yards. So we we investigated and put our hands up and... Again, so we went to the south of France for seven months. Not teaching English, I was doing science work, and Aileen was a cook in their base camp. And then after that, we looked around. The church was involved in the Solomon Islands, so uh, a project in Solomon. So we went to the Solomon Islands, and then we went to South Korea. We were supposed to go back to Lebanon, but things happened in the country, and we couldn't go back. We put out kind of a few emails and South Korea came back as a need and that's where we went started going five, six years ago.
0: Yes, and you have been back there a few times too. Why are you passionate about the project there?
1: It's an an organisation called the Missionary Training Institute. Um, They train Korean missionaries in English so that they can be effective in international teams anywhere in the world. So you're working and helping people are going out to really on the front line Afghanistan, uh, Uzbekistan, Sudan, all over the place.
3: I think it's probably as much about the relationships as, as anything else. And we find that we get so blessed by the people that we teach, these young people who are so on fire for the Lord and just want to go wherever God sends them, just whatever that means in their lives with families, children, and they often thank us for coming to teach them. But we really need to thank them because we get so inspired by them and by their passion. And we just, unfortunately, we can't keep in touch with all of them and we would love to, but um, we just, every time we go there, we fall in love with our group of students and they become like our family. Yeah. And so it's it's really difficult Um I've, I've spoken um, in the chapel time and said we've left a family behind in Australia to come here but now we're leaving a family behind in Korea to go yeah. back to Australia because we live with them, we eat with them and we teach them and they do become like our family while we're there and I think that's one of the joys that we have of working in that organisation. I guess many of those people
0: you don't end up seeing again as well?
1: No, we don't. Um, they, so a couple of them we keep on Skype, try to teach their kids a bit of. Alien does teach their kids a bit of English. But they're off to their. I mean, they're young. They've got young families. They've got mm. blood family in Korea. We just touch them for a few months. It's yeah. a, a live in situation, so it's intensive. Only English is spoken. Mm. Korean is forbidden in the school. Okay. It's very hard for them. But it's a kind of a job that...
0: It's the best way to learn, though, isn't it, Absolutely. that immersion? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh
1: it's a, it's a job that many Australian people of our age could fit into. Mm. It's encouraging. It's great. It's fun.
3: Um, we're teaching an English class here in a community yeah. centre in Woolowin once a week. And what these people desperately need is Australian friends. And if I can put in a little plug here, Shelley, yes, that anybody who's out there listening... Please look around your church, your community, your neighbourhood and look for refugees and migrants who come out here because they are the most beautiful, wonderful people. Very often they're very brave to do what they do and what they really want more than anything is to find friendship of Australian people and be part of the community. So... Mm please look around and look for these people and befriend them. Invite them just for a cup of coffee and they will be absolutely thrilled to bits that someone has taken an interest in them.
0: Mm, Love your thinking. And a real challenge, I think, for all of us too when we do come across people uh, and especially those that might find it difficult to make friends as well. It's great for us to be the ones that are proactive and getting out there and, and reaching out to them. Robin, did you want to add something there?
1: It's interesting that we, as we, if we are Christians, we know that we have a hope, and it's a very serious hope, and that's the basis that many people are looking for when they come to a new country. They've left everything behind. They've made big decisions, and will it work out? What is their hope? Their hope is to succeed, raise families. But there, they are usually quite wise, and um, they're looking for something deep as well.
0: Mm. It's up to us to reach out to them and um, be
3: there to explain to them uh, Christianity, the way they can be saved as well. Exactly, exactly. And particularly older people, retired people, there's a huge role out there for them with these young families who've come out here just without mm. any support or any family. As grandparents and parents to these people, it's, it's just so important for them.
0: Mm. Well, time has gotten the better of us. It's time for us to say goodbye. But thank you so much for sharing just a little bit of your story. I know there's many, many stories that have gone untold today and we could be here for hours listening about uh, some of the people that you've gotten to meet over the years and the other things that you're passionate about. But thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and I'm sure it's been encouragement to many.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Shirley. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Shirley.
4: What a wonderful way to spend your retirement years, travelling and ministering to others. And as we just heard, Robin and Aileen Byers say, we don't necessarily have to travel. We can minister to people from other countries right where we are in our own community. We can extend the hand of friendship to them and they'll really appreciate it. Also, if you're a regular listener to the story, you'll be interested to know that a guest we had on recently, Mim Rodda, is their daughter. And you may recall she shared about what it's like growing up in a home with people from different cultures coming in on a regular basis. She really enjoyed it. In case you missed it, you can hear Mim's interview on our website. Just go to vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au and look up the story and you'll find all our past programs. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: When we first started it, we didn't have very much support from the prison or anyone else. But by the end of it, I think we had something like 20 people and they busted us up into different units. And we sort of worked out that there were like probably 200 men doing Bible studies in that jail by the end of what we'd done. So yeah, it was pretty amazing, eh?
4: Over 10 years ago, Rod Donovan from Chinchilla was addicted to drugs and at a very low point in his life-serving time in jail. However, now his life has completely turned around. Rod takes a look back at his time in prison and the amazing things that happened while he was there. Next time. The The Story.
2: Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.